0: Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good day everybody. I hope today is a great day for you. I know it's a good day for me and we're coming right at you right from the podcast studio. That's right. This is the Grace for the City podcast. I'm Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we are giving you scriptural motivation and strategies to help you get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus. Listen, friends, don't delay. Accept Jesus today. He's got a plan for you. And He's got a plan for the people that are around you. He's in the rescue business, and he is enlisting you to get out on the front lines. Hallelujah. Say yes today. Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I want to invite you to participate in a vision that we've got. I want you to help us accomplish building out our new studio. We have a facility on our property that the Lord said, hey, look, you can put three studios in there. And so that's what we're doing. We've launched this project. We're calling it the Studio Project. Three studio sets. One will be like a sit-down interview-style couch and chair type arrangement. The other one uh, will be an extended uh, podcast studio. I'm in a studio here in a different building, but we can expand it, do some other things with it if we move it over there. And then the third set is what we're calling Equippers Academy or Equippers University, where we can produce teachings and trainings that will help even the little ones come along all the way up to like a university or a mature level delivery of the word. And so we invite you to participate in that. Any uh, financial contribution is tax deductible. You can go to our website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Follow the instructions. You select the, select the drop-down menu and choose Studio Project. We thank you in advance for helping us accomplish that vision. Hallelujah. We're going to be able to get more stuff into more nations. Oh, it's awesome. All right, let's jump into the podcast today. And, uh, you know, I've been in and around a particular thought for several years now, and I've just titled it simply The Head and the Body Mystery, based out of Ephesians 5. We find out, not just there, but in lots of places, but definitely there, we find out that Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. And uh, the Bible uses uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife, um, and... and, and, and um, to signify or to show us or to reveal to us how this mystery is fleshed out this great mystery of the head and the body and uh and so i've been in and around that for several years now well um here recently i was ministering and we dived in kind of did a deep dive on a particular thought as it concerns the head and body and so i want to talk about it today and it's going to deal with witchcraft that's right witchcraft That's what it's going to deal with. And so let's jump right into this today. Like in Ephesians chapter one, say, okay, all throughout Ephesians, we see in several places, uh, this mystery being revealed, but Ephesians one verse 22, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, that sets a baseline, that verse, among many other verses, where there's this mystery about the head and the body. And we find out that these two uh, uh, operations, these two uh, parts, these two uh, pieces, they are interdependent of one another. They're they're not um, independent. No, they need one another. And this is fleshed out in several ways. We find out that the husband is the head of the wife. We find out that... um, The husband says the head head of the home. We also find out like say that the shepherd is the head of the sheep. Uh, We would find out that an employer is the head of the employees. A team leader is the head of the team. And there is a mystery about the head body. And then they work together, but then each part is anointed to do different things. For example, the eyes and ears are in the head. You don't find eyes and ears in the body. So usually the head is tasked or anointed with the vision. But then what you do find in the body is the arms and legs. And so the body provides a lot of the, um, the mobility, the strength. Uh, they have the tools in order to actually accomplish what the command and control center is able to understand or have revealed to it. And so these work together. Now, sometimes they don't work together. That's why we're going to talk about that. We'll look at a few scriptures that deal with this. Um, what is the byproduct of when the body and the head don't work together, or when the body doesn't submit to the head, the production of the produce or the result of that is just classically and generically and basically called witchcraft. All right, now let's go look at this in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, we're going to jump right in, into this, but this is the centurion soldier, and he's asking Jesus to do something. Jesus responds. Now, in verse 8, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. You're probably familiar with the story. Uh, one of his servants was sick and he said, Jesus, uh, I need you to come and heal him. When Jesus said, I'll go. And then he's like, wait, 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 I'm not even worthy. All right. So then he says, just say a word and my servant will be healed. Then he goes on to say this in verse nine, for I am also under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to uh, my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus responded to that in verse 10. He said, when he'd heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Wow. All right, so here's this guy. He's a centurion soldier. Centurion um, uh, means basically that he had authority over a hundred men, basically. And uh, so he had a hundred guys that were in his command. And he says, I am a man under authority. All right, so so this guy, even though he was over a hundred guys, he also answered to uh, some element or, you know, I, I don't know what the the terms were, but somebody that had more authority than he did. And he answered to them, but yet he, he had people that answered to him and he's telling Jesus, I know how this works. I'm under authority. I have those under me and he's locating himself. He's located himself under the authority of Jesus, knowing that if Jesus issues a command or gives a command, then he will, as the head of his home, the head of those soldiers who were under him say, but in particular in context, he's over his home that if Jesus issues a word to him, he knows exactly what's going to happen because he's the head of that home. He's going to allow that word to go to work in his own home. Listen, Jesus didn't have to come and touch this uh, servant individually. He could have, but he didn't have to. And this is what Jesus marveled at because the head of the household said, Jesus, if you'll say the word, I'll allow it into my household, into my orcos, and I know it will work because, remember in Ephesians 5, was it um, – is it verse 23 or 24 somewhere right in there it says that uh the head is the savior of the home now we don't, don't want to drive that out into exaggerations or extremes but it gives us some principle here remember jesus said in john 10 that he was the door the head of the home is the doorkeeper the head of a team is a doorkeeper the head of an organization the head of a ministry whatever if you're an employer you are like that door and whatever you open up unto the body will have free reign. Oh, I hope you're getting this because this is a phenomenal revelation. And it solves so many problems. It solves a lot of problems here too. It answers a lot of questions. But I'm just fascinated at this guy, just, just like Jesus was. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this guy. By the way, this guy wasn't Jewish, he was Roman. He said, I haven't seen, like, I haven't seen faith like this guy in all of Israel. Only two times did Jesus make that kind of remark. And in both situations, the people he was referring to were not even Jewish. (laughs) Even his own people didn't have this kind of faith. Listen, this man, he understood that he was under a head. He knew he was within a body. And he understood in certain instances that he too was a head with a body under him. He knew and understood that the command from the head was to be received by the body. Recognizing Jesus as the head of the church and himself and his household being under or within the authority of Jesus, he knew the command from Jesus would be immediately received into his own body. Hallelujah for that. Now, what about you? This is the question that you and I have to answer is, who do we submit to? Who are we under? You know, the Bible says to recognize those who are over you in the Lord. Who's over you? you know, a good uh, practice, uh, maybe some um, something for you to do, like homework, would be to write down who's over you in the Lord? Who's over you? Like, spiritually speaking, as far as this, this principle, this mystery, who's a head over you? Who has headship anointing over you? Are you an employer or, or are you employed? Well, who's your boss? Who's your boss is? What's the chain of command where you work? Are you on a team? Who's your team leader? Uh, do you go to a church? Who's your pastor? Who's the spiritual leadership team in that church? Um, are you married? Are 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 you a wife? Who's over you? Is your husband over you? What does the Bible say? These are questions that you need to answer. I have found that a lot of people can't answer this. They don't know who's over them in the Lord. They don't know who's over them as far as how the laws that govern authority and structure etc work on the earth and then the other homework would be who's under you who are you responsible for what teams are you leading are you irresponsible with your teams you realize that as the head goes so goes the body you know like this this centurion soldier here he said jesus look i all all i need from you you don't have to even come to my house but if you'll just say the word he said, I won't stop that word of healing from coming into my home. I want you to think about this. How, how many pastors, how, how many churches, denominations, uh, how many ministries, how many famous people on Facebook speak against healing, speak against uh, God's will to prosper you, speak against peace and wholeness? Uh, what are they doing? Well, if they are leading a bunch of people, how stupid is that, that they would be, quote, the savior of the body or the door, the gatekeeper of the body that they represent and have been charged by the Lord to have oversight with. How stupid is that, that they would open up and allow sickness and disease? Who in their right mind would disallow the healing word of the Lord to come into their body? Well, it happens all the time. And sometimes you see churches where they don't allow the rightly divided truth concerning uh, the covenant we have Uh, uh, with the Lord Jesus concerning healing, when they don't let that message in, people in that body are sick and weak and it ought not be so. Or if they constantly are uh, criticizing um, messages that deal with God's desire to increase you and prosper you, I'm not saying that there's not imbalances, but I'm saying a rightly divided truth. Why would they be so critical of that and yet speak against it and speak negative? I mean, what do you want for your people? You you want them all to be poor and broke and destitute? You want them to be sick and diseased and dying? The way some people preach and teach about healing, man, I wouldn't be in that church. I I would run as far away from that church as possible. Why? Because there's a spiritual law about what the head is allowing into that place or disallowing into that place. As the head goes, so goes the body. This is why it's important that you inquire the Lord where where you. Where you Where you are to be planted. Ask the Lord, where's that place in the body that he has placed you? Remember 1 Corinthians 12 says, he places in the body as he sees fit. You don't arbitrarily choose your place, but you inquire of the head of the church, the head of the church. Where do you want me to serve? Where are you anointing me? Where are you calling me to be a body part? What headship anointing, what leader are you calling me to serve? And then when you get there, you need to do what's appropriate for the body and not fight against the head. That's called witchcraft. That's where we're headed today in this message. But I wanted to highlight the fact that Jesus marveled at this centurion soldier because this guy understood how it works. If you are in a body, you do as you're told. This is what he said. He said, I'm under authority. I report to those who are above me. I do what I'm told. And he says, I have those under me. They do what they're told. That's how the head and the body works. The body, the body does not have mobility unless it receives impulse from the head, the command and control center, where the eyes, the ears, where the senses are, the primary senses, you know, sight, smell, uh, taste, you know, touch is in the body. But, but the other command and control functions are in the head. And uh, the body does not have mobility without the head giving it direction, giving it command. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is the head of the church. We do as we're commanded. Command may be a little bit of a strong word for some folk, but uh, basically that's what the head does. It issues instruction. It uh, issues impulse. It gives instruction. It gives command to the body and able to follow through and to fulfill the vision that is happening within the head or that the head is receiving. Hallelujah. This passage about the centurion soldier it reveals that everybody has a head and everybody is a part of a body. Everybody has a head. Somebody is under somebody somewhere. Everybody's under somebody somewhere. And in a lot of instances, you may even be over somebody in other situations as well. Hallelujah for that. We get to uh, taste both sides of this. To be anointed in the headship, is just as much a privilege and an honor as being appointed and anointed as a body member and participant. The body has no mobility without impulse or command or instruction from the head, as I said, and the head has no mobility without the receptivity to that impulse from the body. You think about being brain dead. These are people that their bodies are functioning, but there's something going on with the brain. And so the body is basically in like a vegetative state. Or the opposite of that would be like paralyzation where the brain's functioning, but there's something going on in the nervous system, there's a disconnect there, and the body is unable to respond to the impulse of the brain. When these two God joins anointings, uh, when these two God joined anointings are pit against each other, the whole body suffers from immobilization. Whenever there is a power struggle between the head and the body, there is something dreadfully wrong. Now, I wanna show you something here all the way in the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter three, look at this in verse 16. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire, another translation, actually another um, Bible translation says craving, and yet another one even says to devour. Your desire shall be for your husband." and he shall rule over you. Uh, We could say it like this, that uh, this weakness to devour, because that word desire literally is translated in other places to devour, but this craving to devour comes from the root word, which means to run over. It means to run over. You ever um, had somebody, you know, maybe that would, that, you were leading that just tried to run over you like they were trying to get ahead of you. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, slow down. You're supposed to be following, not running over me, trying to get out past me and around me or ahead of me. The body always follows suit. The head always goes first. Come on. The head always goes first. Body always follows. That's the principle. The New Living Translation says this, and you will desire to control your husband. Now if you've been following along with any of our thoughts concerning the head and body, you know that the head uh, or here the word husband um, represents headship. Uh, in fact, there's a verse where it, God is our um, it basically, basically says that God is our husband, but but he practices husbandry. We are God's husbandry, is what the King James says. Uh, another translation says he's the vine dresser. So this principle, it's not sexual, but it has everything to do with the revelation of God. Husband is another uh, revelation of the Godhead, all right? The Godhead. Jesus is part of that Godhead. He's the head over all things concerning the church. The church is the body. The church is not the head. The church is the body. And so um, here, this idea of husband represents the head. This is why throughout the Bible, he says that the husband is the head of the wife. The wife represents the body. The husband represents the head. All right. So he says the New Living Translation, and you will desire to control your husband, but he, he, who he, the head will rule over or dominate you. Now this is negatives on both sides, but here I want you to see right in the very beginning where this curse came in. And immediately, the greatest temptation that befalls the body now is the temptation to try and subvert or to be insubordinate and not yield itself or submit itself, but rather to try and control its authority. Rather than yield to authority, the body seeks to control the authority. That's probably the greatest temptation and weakness that the body faces. And then in the same verse, we also find out what the greatest uh, weakness and temptation of the head is rather than, you know, lead in love and to sacrificially serve the temptation on the head or the husband would be to become tyrannical or dominate or lord itself over the body. The ESV says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule again or dominate over you. Again, the curse brought division between and perverted the roles of the head and the body. Rather than working together seamlessly, they would seek to control each other. Rather than be one, they would seek to uh, be contrary and independent of one another. Here we have the beginning of, right here in Genesis 3, we have the beginning of and the introduction to fallen man's religion, which is witchcraft. Witchcraft is fallen man's religion. Now, let me give you a working definition of witchcraft. Witchcraft is, in essence, the attempt to control somebody and make them do what you want by the use of any spirit which is not the Holy Spirit. And because of the curse and the fallen nature, woman, all right, actually better defined as wife, Remember in Genesis chapter 2, uh, when God presented woman to Adam, he actually called her Ishah, which is translated wife. I don't know how many hundreds of times throughout the, new, or, uh, throughout the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so he recognized her as bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, which we found out later that that's what we were called because we're bone of, Christ, uh, bone of bone and flesh of flesh of Christ's body, which is his what? The church is the body of Christ. And he is the head over that. And so right here in Genesis, Adam recognizes that he's the head over this body. This is now part of his body. He, he called her wife, but he recognized she is the body and I've been anointed or placed, ordained as the head over this body. And because now the fallen nature, woman, again, contextually better defined wife, but principally the body by nature now, So wherever this uh, mystery is revealed, it's not just limited to women. This is not a woman's problem, it's a body problem. It's not just a wife problem, it is a body problem. So therefore it it would apply to women, it would apply to wives, but it would also apply to any man that has been called into or anointed as a body member of a team somewhere or of an organization or they're an employee or they're serving somebody, or they're a part of a church. You're not the head just because you go to a church, just because you're a member of a church, you're part of the body. So you could be male or female and be anointed to be in a body role. But again, we see right here because the wife represents the body. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. The wife represents the body anointing for everyone everywhere. And so the fallen carnal nature would seek to subvert or to be contrary or contradicting and ultimately seek to control the head rather than submit to the head. Now, if you remember from your Bible studies, you go to Ephesians chapter five, what did Jesus personally say to the body or to the wife that represents the body everywhere? He said, I want you to submit. That's what he said. That was the instruction to the body. Now, what did he say to the husband or to the head, which represents any male or female anywhere that's anointed in a headship role? Okay. Now females cannot be anointed head in the marriage covenant because it's already prescribed. The Bible already prescribes. He said, the husband shall be the head has nothing to do with uh, anatomy, has nothing to do with uh, intellect. It has everything to do with position, place, and calling. But what did he say to the head, which to the husband in Ephesians five, which represents headship and uh, anointings for men and women anywhere, everywhere, wherever that mystery is revealed. Whoever is leading a team, maybe they're an employer, maybe they're a director, you know, maybe they're a supervisor, a manager. Anybody has leadership, the gift of leadership in their life. What did he tell them? He said, "I want you to love and sacrificially give of yourself. I want you to serve the body." Now, he never tasked the head with making the body submit. That wasn't a conversation Jesus had with the head. That was a conversation he had with the body. He said, you're anointed to submit. Now, if you are placed, graced, and called and anointed to be in the role of the body, you and I are not to seek to subvert or to control. The temptation and weakness of the body, again, is to be contrary or to be insubordinate. And the temptation and greatest weakness that the body faces would be to try and control rather than be led. The head's weakness, again, and primary temptation would be to dominate or forcibly control and lord itself over the body. Remember uh, what 1 Peter 5.3 says. It, 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 we're just jumping down in here, but he's, he's warning, he's cautioning. He said, you don't be lords or domineering masters or slave drivers over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. He was admonishing these shepherds that have been given. Listen, you are entrusted with headship. It is a calling, it is a placement by the head of the church, Jesus, but he's saying, look, if you've been anointed to be uh, in a place of leadership in my people's lives, this is what Jesus is saying, He's saying you can't lord that position over them. You can't be domineering masters. You can't be slave drivers. Rather, though, um, be an example to the flock of what biblical leadership looks like. It's servant leadership. The Amplified Classic says in verse 3, 1 Peter 5, 3, not domineering as arrogant, dictatorial, uh, or overbearing uh, over those in your charge, but be examples, patterns and models of Christian living to the whole flock, to the congregation. And then in Matthew 20, for another example here, verse 25, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They flaunt their authority and their great men, what's he talking about? Like the elected officials, right? So you got mayors, you got city council, you have representatives, you have governors, you have senators, et cetera. He said, they're great men. So that's, that's kind of their elected officials. He said, they're great men forcibly hold them in subjection, uh, tyrannizing over them. Jesus explicitly forbids that. What is he addressing? He's addressing headship anointing. Verse 26, he says, not so shall it be among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you must be your slave now so much of what we've talked about here is so close to witchcraft let me give you some examples of what witchcraft is and i'm telling you you see this fleshed out all over the place i mean it's just like it's it, it's fallen man's religion so you're going to see it out in the world all the time the problem is when we start seeing it in the church but manipulation is witchcraft manipulation is witchcraft domination is witchcraft domination is witchcraft Control, control is witchcraft. And then intimidation is witchcraft. So many people, even Christian people, sadly, just seem to struggle with God's plan, his strategy of humility, and are tempted to circumvent his ways of promotion and try and skip ahead by nefarious means. But I'm telling you, that will only lead you to get hurt and others to get hurt In the same way. Listen, if we're going to stay out of witchcraft and do things God's way, we will have to become proficient in love and in humility. Now, witchcraft is counterfeit spiritual authority. And let me go over a short list again. Witchcraft seeks to dominate, witchcraft seeks to manipulate, witchcraft seeks to control. Witchcraft seeks to force. Witchcraft seeks to coerce. Witchcraft pressures and witchcraft intimidates. Now, if you're taking notes, you should at least write this down. I mean, this my next three statements are, this are, are fascinating. I mean, it's absolutely it's, it's a game changer. Uh, it's been a game changer for myself. But if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Text this to yourself, put it on your refrigerator, do something with this. Here it is, ready? Love leads, faith follows, fear forces. Here it is again. Love leads, faith follows, fear forces. Stay out of witchcraft, friends. Listen, people, they ask this question all the time, especially when it comes to like who submits to who, and then what if they don't submit? Well, if they don't submit, then they don't. What are you going to do? Jesus never told anybody in a leadership position to enforce submission. He never said that. And listen, you start trying to make somebody do something, you are going to get over into witchcraft. You try to force somebody to do something, the only way to make them do something outside of the Holy Ghost is by using or engaging some other spirit somehow to manipulate or to control or to intimidate or use fear or to just physically or mentally or emotionally dominate them, beating them down until they acquiesce to you. Listen, don't do that. We're not called to do that. So what if somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to do? Well, you have a word of agreement on something. For example, maybe it's a work contract, say. Let's just say, let's just use that. Let's say somebody agrees to do this job and you're gonna pay them X amount of money for the job that they do. Well, you find out they're not doing their job. Well, you can't make them do their job. How are you gonna make them do their job? Are you gonna browbeat them? Are you you gonna mock them? Are you gonna ridicule them? Are you gonna intimidate them? How are you going to uh, get them to do their job? Well, listen, you can go back to the agreement and you can say, hey, we agreed upon this and, you know, either you're going to follow through with what you said or you are in, you know, in actuality, you are turning in your notice. Listen, you really don't even have to fire anybody. If they don't follow through on what they've agreed on, they've chosen to step away. They've chosen to step down. They've, they've chosen to give up their position. They've chosen to allow somebody else to come in and do their job for them. Hallelujah. Listen, so we're not forcing people. And so I know that this concept's a wall. I mean, how am I gonna get my people to do what they're supposed to do? Well, if they don't, then they won't. So they have broken their agreement. Their yes is no longer yes, it's become a no. And so in effect, they're released now. You're released, you can go on. Somebody else wants to be here. Somebody else wants to do this job. Somebody else would be more than happy to be here working in that position and serving in that place. Maybe somebody else uh, appreciates the anointing or the grace or the leadership or the work or the task um, that, you know, is associated with it more than this person here. But we are never told, never, we are never told to make somebody obey. That's witchcraft. So we would just continue to lead in love. We would continue to express the, um, the agreement or the expectations. You know, to be clear is to be kind. To be clear is to be kind. We would continue to just uh, re- reiter- uh, excuse me, reiterate what the expectations are, and within a reasonable amount of time, if they don't, you know, change their attitude and, you know, change their ways, then in effect, they have chosen to go ahead and, you know, quit or turn in their notice, the resignation, whatever, and go on and do something else. Hallelujah! Somebody it makes it easy. You and I sleep at night by not lording this stuff. Flaunting our authority, you'll saying, ah, am, I'm amazing, and you'll do what I say do. No, nobody has to. <coughs> Hallelujah. Now, if they don't submit and God's called them there, well, then they have to deal with him. They have to give an account for their disobedience to Jesus. Jesus told the body to submit. If they don't, they're disobeying him. It's not that they're disobeying you. They're disobeying him. Now, let's look at a couple verses here as we bring the podcast to a close. Again, I want you to remember, we have to use these deciphers because the mystery is the head body, but the Bible will use other words like husband, wife. He'll use even other words like man and woman. There's various uh, ways that this mystery is revealed throughout the scripture. I'm gonna show you some in Proverbs 21. And again, we gotta look at the, uh, use the decipher, understand the framework, get the revelation of the mystery these verses that i am going to read can apply to both men and women and children team leaders their teams uh team members owners and employees church leaderships congregations anywhere the head body mystery exists these verses apply appropriately now look at this in proverbs 21 19 oh boy this stings though i mean dude these are strong this is some potent scriptures Proverbs 21, 19 in the New New Living Translation says this, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Now, remember our decipher because the Bible is not picking on women and it's not picking on wives. Again, remember the wife is a stand-in. She represents the body everywhere, uh, both male and female. Wherever we've been anointed into a body role, here, Uh, the principle or the concept, the wife is exhibiting that. All right. So here it says uh, again, Proverbs 21, 19, the new living. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife or AKA what? Body. You know this. If you've ever led a team and you've got a team member and all they do is complain, (laughs) you know, this verse is true. Then other translations use these words. One translation uses the word contentious. Another translation uses the word fretful. The King James and the Amplified Classic uses the word vexing. Uh, another translation uses the word angry, hot-tempered, and irritable. Now, I thought that word vexing was very interesting. The Amplified Classic uses the word vexing. And the word vexing means this, to annoy with trivial matters. To annoy with trivial matters. Can you see how this just, this is not picking on women It's not picking on wives. It's representing sometimes if the body gets into something that it doesn't need to be involved in, it can become vexing to leadership. If the body, I mean, it could apply to wives. I mean, it definitely can apply. It can apply to women. It can apply to men. You get some men on a team and all they want to do is complain. It can be very vexing. And if they want to just annoy with trivial things, It can be very vexing you kind of want to go out and just live by yourself in a desert for a while then have to put up with all this, this trivial annoyance the word contentious means this oh man this is this is strong the word contentious a person given to arguing or provoking it means one who strives against and it means this contentious means one likely to disagree you ever known some somebody on on a team like it doesn't matter what you did what decision you you made they would would um would what probably be likely to disagree like if anybody was going to disagree it would be that person right that's contentious and how annoying is that well this is dangerous ground for the body it's not the body's role to disagree now i'm not saying that you can't um uh, make an appeal i'm not saying that you can present you know, what we might say, an argument, though, in, in the right way that has facts and information and research um, so that the head doesn't make a poor decision. We're not talking about that the head doesn't allow itself or open itself or, or even inquire. The Bible's full of admonition about godly counsel, multiples of counsel, okay? You know, kings don't go out to war without seeking counsel. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I didn't count them, but there are many scriptures especially in Proverbs, talking about it's wise to get counsel. So we're not saying that nobody counsels headship or leadership, but what we're saying is sometimes some people just argue for the sake of arguing. I'm telling you that's getting into witchcraft because now you're trying to control the outcome. Now you're trying to manipulate the situation that's getting into witchcraft. So if you're given to arguing and provoking, I'm telling you, you have been playing with witchcraft if you constantly strive against your leaders, your employers, your team leaders, your spouse, you are contentious. If you are likely to, to disagree, it doesn't matter what it is, you're just likely to disagree with it. I mean, if your opinion is that high, if you're so narcissist that your opinion always has to be front and center on every single thing, meaning you disagree with everything that you don't agree with you are contentious. And I'm telling you, you're playing dangerously with witchcraft. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13. Here it says in the Amplified Classic, it says the foolish, we could easily add this thought, unsubmitted woman. The context here is wife. Okay, it's talking about a wife. But ultimately, we understand our decipher. It's also referring to what? The body. So here, the foolish, unsubmitted body is what? Noisy. Another translation says boisterous and unruly. She or the body is simple, watch this, and open to all forms of evil. Now, a, um, a very coarse way of describing simple would be stupid. All right, be like um, not just naive, but like simple-minded, almost to the point of just stupidity. This is what he's saying, somebody who's given themselves to habitual insubordination. I'm telling you, the devil is just mocking you. I mean, you are making yourself a mockery. You are presenting yourself to be a stupid person. Listen, if you know your role is to follow instructions and you don't, you present yourself to be simple-minded. And he's saying this person, the unsubmitted person is open. They become like a portal to all forms of evil. Remember James 3 where there's strife, there's every evil work. Strife like literally opens the door and invites demons in. This this person right here, it could be a woman, it could be a wife, but it most definitely could, could be a man or a woman who are just simply a part of a team. They're part of a body. They're part of an organization. They're not the pastor. They're part of the congregation. You can have congregations treat pastors like this right here. You get people in the church that become literally the doorway to all kinds of evil in that church. Why? Cuz they're unsubmitted. They're 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 insubordinate. So the Bible uh, says is open to all forms of evil. Again, we're not talking about women in general. It could apply to a woman. Okay, but it says the foolish, unsubmitted body. Listen, when the body disconnects from its counterpart, it opens itself up to another deceptive headship see there's something else fighting for headship where it has no business having authority there's other um nefarious players right we would call these maybe wolves trying to get authority in something that doesn't belong to them i want you to think about this for a moment so the body has been joined to a head remember god said What God has joined together, let no man separate. What has God put together? He's put a head with a body and a body with a head. And the head, wherever God has joined these two, the head has been uh, given authority, okay? Now, what kind of evil deception and strategy is it for a body whom God has joined to a head For a body to now deny the head its God-given, appointed, and anointed role to bring guidance and leadership to its very own body. What kind of witchcraft is that? That is some kind of nasty witchcraft, friends. Listen, if you are called to serve a church, you must take personal responsibility to not allow any devilish, deceptive um, uh, impulses trying to come in and circumvent or separate you from your God-defined headship, wherever that is. There, And you could have multiples. Uh, we're not talking about your pastor's the end all in everything. You have your husband if you're a wife. You've got other spiritual counsel and leaders. You're connected with other ministries, relationships, wherever God defines. God defines relationships. You don't, I don't, God does. Wherever he has defined these relationships in your life, those relationships, there's there'll they'll be headship there. And you have to protect those connections. You have to protect where God has joined you. And you have to watch out to not let some other sneaky something get in there and sever you from your head. For a body joined to a head to receive impulse from another head, another man, another pastor, another boss, another whatever, that is subversive witchcraft. You've got to watch out for that. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can't listen to other ministers. All I'm saying is the responsibility is on you, friend. You can't blame me. Like, you, you can't slough this off. You can't blame me uh, for not understanding the God-defined relationships in your life. You will be held responsible for your part. And wherever God has called you to be, either in leadership or headship or part of the body, you're responsible for following his instructions in both of those roles. And so if you are at a church but you are divisive and you go, well, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. I'm not doing nothing wrong. Listen, you are you are either you are either stupid and or deceived or both. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's your responsibility to know where God's called you. And if you're somewhere and you don't like what's going on, well then Uh, you need to take that up up with God, but you can always leave. You can always leave. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. When people fight to stay in an insubordinate position, like they will fight in order to maintain their lack of submission, they'll even get other people involved. You talk about witchcraft. When you start trying to get other people involved, like a mutiny against the God-ordained headship in a place, let's say you're working at McDonald's. You don't call up the owner of Burger King and say, man, this joker here at Mickey D's doesn't know how to do burgers. Would you tell me what I should do? You understand that basic kind of story, that basic analogy there? That's that, that's that's the same thing. If you're called to be a part of a church over here, but you, you call this other church up over here and you complain about the pastor here and you're asking this pastor, what you must do in order to get your way over here in this church, that is witchcraft, friends. Plain and simple, that's what it is. And you're opening, opening yourself up to all forms of evil. Hallelujah, somebody. So don't do that. Now, again, we're talking about God-defined relationships. If you are married, you are in a covenant relationship, and God sees a head and a body there. And uh, unless you got some biblical reason to get out of that relationship, you if you're the body part of that, if you're the wife, you better turn your attention to your husband and begin to place a demand on his anointing. Let's, let's say he's not doing very well. Well, when you begin to place a demand on his anointing, he'll begin to step up and demonstrate and exhibit the anointing that's on him. Hallelujah, somebody. All right. This is 1 Corinthians 12:18 what I'm talking what I'm talking about here God defined relationships but it is God who has placed and arranged the limbs and organs in the body each particular one of them just as he wished and saw fit with the best adaptation Oh thank you Jesus for it Um let's see we were in 9:13 Let's look at uh, 9.14 here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read 9.13 again. For she, she who the body, again, uh, who's unsubmitted, willfully and recklessly knows nothing whatsoever of eternal value. Verse 14, for she, or the body, the unsubmitted, misaligned body, sits at the door of her house or on a seat in the conspicuous places of town. Another way of saying that is she sits at the doorway of her house. She has enthroned herself in a headship appointment or anointing. She has self-appointed herself as the head and on the high ground of the city. Uh, one translation says she sits at the door of her house. She takes the seat of, at the highest place. Now, this is in contrast with the Proverbs 31 woman. If you're familiar with the story, where is the husband of the Proverbs 31 woman? That's right. He sits at the gate. Why? Because he's the head. The head is the gatekeeper, not the body. And unsubmitted people sometimes will try and usurp a place, a calling an anointing that is not theirs and enthrone or self-appoint themselves into a headship place that they do not belong. Again, the husband like Christ in John 10, for example, is the doorkeeper of the home. Ephesians 5 says he's the savior of the body. And uh, he's the one, the head is the one who sits at the high place. Hallelujah. Not because he's better, it's just because he's anointed. And we're talking about the husband specifically in a, in a marital covenant. But if we're talking about a leader, it could be a man or a woman. But the body of the team is not to try and subvert the high place that the leader sits in. Now, again, this is not intended to disparage women. It's not intended to disparage uh, wives uh, or the body. But remember, the head has been anointed. That's the difference makers, the anointing. It's not because they're better, smarter, faster, no more. It means nothing like that. Some people think, well, because I know more, I should be the leader. That's not why you've been anointed. It's not based on your knowledge, based on your heart. Hallelujah. But none of this should be disparaging when we consider that the head has been anointed positionally to be in a designated place. That doesn't disparage the body, they're interdependent. Again, when the body which is anointed to be in a designated place usurps or switches places and attempts to function in a capacity that it has no appointment or anointing to do so, it creates a divide and a vacuum into which evil can manifest, divide and conquer. And that evil that I'm referring to in most cases is witchcraft. Hallelujah. Well, friends, I hope you got something out of that today. We're going to end it right there. But listen, I believe the Lord is going to clear a lot of this stuff up in your life. Hallelujah, friends. Listen, you don't need to go through life always being contentious. Recognize your place. Understand your grace. Run your race right there. Own the place that God has for you. Own the place that he's called you and be a blessing. Listen, if you're a leader, stop dominating and sacrificially lead if you're a body stop fighting and do as you're told hallelujah oh thank you father for it oh we give you praise listen friends if we can help you in any way in particularly in prayer i think that's the best place that we can join our um heart up with yours we got prayer people standing by. You can call us, 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will get right back with you. Or send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv, with your prayer requests. And listen, we'll agree with you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of agreement. All right, friends. Well, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.